analysts are ringing alarm bells about 44% SVOD churn, but does it show that the industry is unhealthy? Listen on to find out why other SVOD measures matter more than churn. This is End Screen Noise. My name is Colin Dixon, founder and chief analyst at End Screen Media, and today is March 31st, 2022. Today we are going to talk about churn in SVOD services and you may well ask why. Well, that's because there's been some new data this week that shows that churn for SVOD services is very high. Uh, And uh, actually this is frequently reported on by analyst groups and in the press. So we're going to look at the data and whether it is really worth paying attention to. But before we do that, Endscreen Media is partly supported by its sponsors, and we've had some great ones in the past, including Gracenote, Verizon, Metrological, TiVo, Penthera, and many others. If you'd like to become a sponsor and help keep the lights on here at Endscreen Media, send an email to sales at endscreenmedia.com. Look, there are many benefits, including being acknowledged in this podcast and being able to run banners on the site. And you can even do uh, some calls with me to chat about uh, market conditions, etc. So why don't you consider asking your employer if they would be a supporter of End Screen Media? Let's talk about churn. Uh, First of all, let's define what it is. There really isn't a standard for calculating churn, but the way people normally calculate it is by taking the number of cancellations, the number of people that cancelled service during a period, and dividing by the average number of subscribers during that period. So, for example, for a service that has 1 million subs and kept those 1 million subs pretty much constantly throughout the year, and they have 10% annual churn, that means 100,000 people cancelled service during the year. Uh, And if they maintain 1 million subscribers, that means 100,000 signed up, of course. No SVOD services report directly on churn, but as I say, analyst firms just love to calculate them. They, They field surveys and ask consumers and they calculate it from that data. So let's take a look at some of the churn data provided by first Deloitte, which has just released its digital media trends report for 2022. This is the 16th edition, apparently. And they say that overall, the average service experienced about 37% churn in the six month period ending December 2021. Uh, and they actually break this out by age, which is pretty interesting. They say the highest churn was experienced by millennials, those 26 to 39, 52% cancelled or both cancelled and added a service during that six month period. And Gen Z's, the 14 to 25 year olds, were just behind at 51%. And you probably already guessed that the lowest, lowest churn was experienced by older folks. Lowest lowest of all was boomers, 57 to 75 year olds, just 17% and the 76 or older crowd, well, it was about 20%. And the interesting thing from the Deloitte data is, um, as I say, it differentiates between those people that canceled service and didn't add another one and those people that canceled and did. And 
Of those two groups, the ones that cancelled a service and added another was by far the largest. Of the 47%, well, 33% were those people that cancelled and added, and just 4% were uh, people that cancelled a service and didn't add another in that period. Parks Associates also tracks churn, and it says that the average SVOD service saw an annual churn of about 44% in Q1 of 2021. At least I think that was an annual rate. It's kind of hard to tell from the parks data, uh, but they say it is up from 40% in the same quarter in 2020. So 44% there from parks. Now, whichever, 37%, 44%, that is pretty, I've got to tell you, pretty high churn. Uh, so should we be concerned about it? Well, first let's look at why are we calculating churn? Why are we obsessed with it? And I've got to say, historically, churn has been a very important measure for traditional pay TV services. And that's why we first started to calculate it. So why was it such an important issue for pay TV services, traditional pay TV? Well, I'm going to quote data from Dish's Q4 2020 financials. And it showed in the financials that monthly churn rate was 1.61% for its satellite service. That equates to about 21% annual churn, which, by the way, is pretty much uh, is much lower than the average SVOD service. And the subscriber acquisition cost, the amount that DISH spends to acquire a single subscriber was $790, which is an absolutely enormous sum. And so the reason it's so high, of course, is because when DISH acquires a new subscriber, they have to get a satellite DISH installed, they have to install a set-top box or DVR, and they have to pay for the installation of all of that, and then there's marketing and everything else on top. So that's why SAC subscriber acquisition cost is $790 a DISH. Uh, and the reason it's so important is because when you add that up, when you add churn uh, and the, the amount it costs to acquire, it's a very big number. So for DISH, with 1.6% annual month, uh, monthly churn, rather 21% annual, that means every month they have to acquire 99,000 subscribers just to stay the same. And 99,000 subscribers equates to about $76 million a month. That's about $1 billion a year. And what that means for DISH and other satellite providers is that subscriber acquisition costs are the second highest cost that they face in their business, only behind the cost of licensing the TV channels itself. So that's why it's an incredibly important, that's why churn is an incredibly important number historically. But I've got to tell you, it is not the same for streaming services. There are no hardware costs because we already have broadband, we already have set-top boxes and smart TVs, so we really don't need it. So basically what drives subscriber acquisition costs in SVOD is marketing and promotion. That's the biggest expense that they face when getting a new subscriber. And I mentioned that they don't quote 
what churn is. They also don't quote what the subscriber acquisition cost is, but we can take a swag at it for Netflix. So in 2021, Netflix spent $2.5 billion in marketing and promotion, and estimates put its monthly churn at a very low 2.5%. That's a monthly churn, where that equates to about 34% annual churn. Uh, so that means a third of Netflix subscribers will cancel in any given year. Plus, of course, they added 18 million new subscribers. So overall, that means that they signed up 87 million subscribers in 2021. So if we divide the cost of marketing by the number of new subscribers, that tells us that the subscriber acquisition cost for Netflix is something like $30. That's $30 versus $790 for a satellite service. So you can see subscriber acquisition cost is not nearly as big a deal for Netflix. And that means that churn, therefore, in terms of cost, is not nearly as big a deal for an SVOD service as it is for traditional pay TV. But we still haven't answered if churn is a useful measure for streaming services. Well, it's true to say that very high churn is a problem. Uh, subscriber acquisition costs are not zero, $30 for Netflix. So SVODs want to avoid that expense if they can, possibly can. And keeping subscriber acquisition costs low and keeping churn low are two ways that they can do that. But churn does give us some idea, at least, of how appealing a service's content is. Low churn probably indicates that people are finding enough content to justify spending every month on the service. But I gotta tell you, churn is really a poor measure of that. There are much better ways of measuring how successful the service is. And one of those is the length of the average subscription. Parks calculated the length of average subscription for popular services, and it found that Netflix, for example, has the highest of 48 months, that's four years, the average subscriber stays subscribed to Netflix for 48 months. Prime Video is 40 months and Hulu about 30 months. They also go on to say that it's much worse for Disney Plus and Apple TV Plus, which they peg at 10 months, HBO Max and Peacock at about eight months. But I gotta tell you, I wouldn't put too much stock by those measures because you'll notice that the eight and 10 months, that's around about how long those services have been around. So I got a, thing, I got a feeling that we need to wait a bit longer to find out exactly how bad or how good the length of, the, length of tenure of the average subscriber is to those very new services. Lightman Research also provide a completely different take, different view, on a measure of how well a service is doing in retaining subscribers. And we'll look at what it says about Netflix here. The company just released data that shows that about 67% of all households have Netflix. And they said that 5% of all households in the US had Netflix in the past year, but currently do not. Uh, so that's a pretty interesting measure. and. So let me just repeat that. 5% of all households in the US had Netflix in the past year, 
cancelled it and have not yet resubscribed. A similar number for Hulu. Well, that's 6%. It says it's 5% for Amazon Prime and 5% for virtual MVPD services like Sling TV, YouTube TV and Hulu Live. Uh, so that's another very interesting measure that tells us a lot. But probably the gold standard is customer lifetime value. All of the big SVOD services and probably most SVOD services full stop calculate average customer lifetime value, uh, but they generally do not publish them. So how much is it? Well, we can take a swag at that for Netflix. We know from Parks data that the average subscriber sticks around for 48 months uh, in the US and the average revenue per unit that Netflix earns. Netflix does report that. And over the last few years, it's been in the 12 to 14 and a half dollar range. That's monthly. So if we multiply that out, that tells us that the average customer lifetime value for a Netflix subscriber in the US is between 600 and 650 dollars. Uh, so that I think is definitely something that I would like to see SVOD services begin to report on, particularly the public ones, because uh, they, I think they owe it to their investors to give them a really good idea of the value of each of their subscribers. Uh, so in summary, I think that churn data is certainly interesting, uh, but I don't think it's something that you should base your entire opinion of how good a service is. And I'll give you a great example. A sports service that streams live games, I suspect that their churn is close to 100%. At the end of a season, I would imagine that most people would unsubscribe for that service and then resubscribe uh, in the next year for the next season. So there's an example of a service that could be doing extremely well, but has extremely high churn. So take those churn numbers with a pinch of salt. Uh, they tell us something, but they don't tell us everything about the health of any given asphalt service. This has been Colin Dixon with Inscreen Media, and I'll speak to you again next time. This podcast is a production of Inscreen Media, all rights reserved.